0: Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast. My is Al Gavada. Thank you very much for joining us. It is episode nine. Got a lot of stuff to talk about. Plus, got a great featured track of the week coming in all the way from Italy. And uh, it's kind of spooky. So just in time for Halloween, which is tomorrow. If you're listening to this in the future, this is the day before Halloween 2015. Let's kick it off with some movie news from boxofficemojo.com. Taking a look at the top three movies this weekend, Ridley Scott's The Martian took the number one spot with a little over $15.7 million in its fourth weekend in release. Last weekend, it did slip to second place in favor of Sony's Goosebumps, but as the Jack Black led Children's Horror dips into second with a solid hold and an estimated $15.5 million, Scott's Martian is number one for the third time in four weekends. The film is now a little over $11 million shy from becoming the 77 year old director's highest grossing domestic release of all time. In third place is Bridge of Spies, Steven Spielberg's fourth teaming with star Tom Hanks, which dropped only 26%, taking in $11.3 million, bringing its total to about 32.5. However, despite positive reviews and an A-Cinema score, the film isn't necessarily a breakout when it comes to Spielberg-Hanks' works compared to previous collaborations. Compared to previous Hanks and Spielberg collaborations, it's coming in dead last behind even the terminal by $9 million, as it has yet to top the 2004 release after 10 days in release in the same number theaters. The first of the weekend's new releases to show up in the top 10 is Vin Diesel's The Last Witch Hunter with $10.8 million. It has a reported budget somewhere in the 75 to $80 million range and to go along with its domestic performance, Lionsgate is reporting an estimated $13.4 million coming in from 53 international territories for a $26.1 million global performance. I wouldn't expect too much from its second weekend either as the B-minus cinema score suggests a second weekend drop of about 53% or so. Coming in sixth place with an estimated 8.2. $2 million dollars and a lackluster C cinema score is Paramount's Paranormal Activity The Ghost Dimension. It opened this weekend with 1,227 fewer theaters than the previous fifth installment, Paranormal Activity The Marked Ones, but since the budget for the film is said to be in the mid teens, making it the most expensive paranormal activity to date, but still small enough budget that Paramount and Jason Bloom's Bloomhouse probably won't be losing much sleep over the fact that this is the weakest domestic wide opening for any film in the paranormal franchise by more than $10 million. The reason for fewer theaters comes as Paramount's decision to shorten the window from theatrical to on-demand. The film will arrive on VOD once it's playing in fewer than 300 theaters. With that comes an agreement to share a portion of VOD sales with participating theaters up to 90 days from its theatrical opening. Now, the problem now is that Paramount most likely didn't plan on the film playing in so few theaters to begin with. After all, it's one thing to open in 2,800-plus theaters, as did the marked ones, and dipping below 300 theaters in your fifth weekend in release. However, opening in nearly half the number of theaters means cutting that theater count much sooner, widening the number of the days the studio will be splitting VOD profits with participating theater chains. On the plus side, Ghost Dimension is outpacing the marked ones internationally by 4%, opening in 33 international markets and grossing an estimated $18 million for a $26.2 million worldwide cume. Paramount intends to use the same release strategy with the upcoming Scouts Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse coming up this weekend. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. As well, it will be interesting to see if they release VOD sales information in an attempt to prove the strategy worked. Next, we come to two of the year's biggest flops. Jen and the Holograms opened last weekend. As a matter of fact, I had the information to promote it during that uh, the last episode. I just didn't bother to because I knew it was going to flop. The other one is Rock the Casbah with Bill Murray. Coming in with an estimated $1.5 million in a little over 2,000 theaters, Rock the Casbah sports a paltry $750 per theater average. That's the fifth worst opening ever for a film playing in more than 2,000 theaters, just a bit worse than August's We Are Your Friends with Zac Efron, in fact. But it wasn't the worst The weekend had to offer. Tallying a mere $547 per theater average from 2,413 theaters, Universal's Jam and the Hograms brought in an estimated $1.3 million, the fourth worst opening for a film in more than 2,000 theaters and the worst for a film playing in more than 2,400 theaters. Despite the lackluster result, the financial picture for Universal isn't all that troubling. The film was uh, basically made on a $5 million budget, so it should do all right. Universal, however, didn't find much success elsewhere either. They saw their expansion of the movie Steve Jobs met with a Whisper, $7.2 million is all the Oscar contender could muster. Additionally, last weekend's new release, Crimson Peak, dipped a predictable 57.7% for an estimated $5.5 million this weekend, bringing the cue for the Guillermo del Toro-directed gothic romance to $22.4 million. Overseas, the film added another $7.8 bringing their worldwide total to $49 million. This upcoming weekend sees a release of Burnt starring Bradley Cooper as the Weinstein Company decided to forego a limited release this weekend and will go wide with the drama in more than 2,400 theaters this evening. Joining it will be WB's Our Brand is Crisis starring Sandra Bullock and the aforementioned Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. So the top 10 wound up looking like this. The Martian in at number one with 15.9. Goosebumps at number two with 15.5. Bridge of Spies at number three. The Last Witch Hunter in at number four. Hotel Transylvania 2 still in the top five with $9 million bringing their total to $148 million. Paranormal Activity at number 6, Steve Jobs at number 7, Crimson Peak at number 8, The Intern still in the top 10 at number 9 with $3.8 million, doing better than I thought it would do, and Seek Audio rounding out the top 10 with a total of $2.9 million. Their total is close to $40 million. New movies opening up this weekend. Burnt rated R comedy drama Adam Jones, which is played by Bradley Cooper, is a chef who destroyed his career with drugs and diva behavior. He cleans up and returns to London determined to redeem himself by spearheading a top restaurant that can gain three Michelin stars. The buzz, well, out of the uh reviews so far, it has a meta score of 37 out of 100, so I'll just leave that right there. I just don't see this one doing that much business this weekend, so we'll see how that one uh, turns out. Our brand is Crisis. Rated R, also comedy-drama. An American woman well-versed in political campaigns is sent to the war-torn lands of South America to help install a new leader, but is threatened to be thwarted by a long-term rival. It stars Sandra Bullock, Billy Bob Thornton, Anthony Mackey, and Joaquin de Almeida, who you might remember from Clear and Present Danger. The Buzz. David Gordon Green's dramatization of Rachel Boynton's 2005 documentary finds itself in an odd critical arena. There are nods to raves for Sandra Bullock's Performance as a political campaign strategist, but there's little praise for the actual movie making. Some people point to the script from Peter Strawn, which is weird because he had a hand in Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, and Wolf Hall, while others say Green's direction doesn't make much of the story's dramatic or comedic elements. We'll see if the adults show up for Sandra or not. Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse I think originally was going to be called Boy Scouts vs. Zombies. It's also rated R Comedy Horror. Three scouts, on the eve of their last camp discover the true meaning of friendship when they Attempt to save their town from a zombie outbreak. While Paramount tests out their controversial shortening of the theatrical to VOD window, which finds some theaters boycotting their releases, it looks like one of the more fun movies of the year could wind up becoming a casualty of the studio experiment. So if you want to check it out in the big screens, you want to do it early, alright? Checking out some movie news from EmpireOnline.com. Six months after raising more than double what they asked for via their Indiegogo campaign, the Broken Lizard Troop have started shooting their comedy Highway Patroller sequel, Super Troopers 2. All five original troopers are returning. There's no sign of Brian Cox yet, but we were promised that meeting the target would allow for, quote, proper actors, unquote, so there's still hope. Now, Brian Cox himself said he'll come back if the budget gets to $5 million and he gets a scene with a bullwhip and a rocket launcher. So let's hope they hit that $5 million mark. They asked for $2 million and having raised that for the bare bones version of the film in a single day are currently at $4.5 million, more than quadruple the budget of the original 2001 Super Troopers. It's still going and their current target is $4.75 million, which will allow for a, quote, kick-ass chase scene. It's the second most successful movie crowdfunding campaign after Veronica Mars. Perks included a producer credit or speaking role for $10,000 and for one lucky contributor getting to keep the car for $35,000. The original film follows the knockabout adventures of five Vermont state troopers, avid pranksters with a knack for screwing up, who try to save their jobs and outdo the local police department by solving a crime. Not much is yet known about the new film, but it's believed to take place fairly immediately after the first one, so we won't be addressing any 14-year hiatus. Jay Shander Seekar is directing again, and Fox Searchlight agreed to distribute Super Troopers 2 once the initial $2 million was met. But there are no release dates so far. Next year sometime seems likely. Some interesting television news. Though we just said goodbye to his latest stylish televisual baby with the cancellation of Hannibal... Writer-producer Brian Fuller is busier than ever, currently leading the writer's room for the HBO adaptation of Neil Gaiman's American Gods at U.S. Cable Channel Stars. And now he's added another gig, overseeing the revival of anthology TV series Amazing Stories. Spearheaded by Steven Spielberg back in 1985, the show was bursting with talent beyond the main man himself, providing platforms for the likes of Brad Bird, Sid Caesar, Harvey Keitel, Robert Zemeckis, John Cryer, Joe Dante, Tom Holland, Irvin Kirshner, and more. Amazing Stories features a mixture of genres and ideas with half-hour stories narrated by different performers. But though it burned brightly, it only lasted through its initial two-season commitment, even though it picked up a handful of awards along the way. If anyone can do something new and interesting with the idea, it's Fuller, a man with no little experience in shows that are fascinating, but also short-lived. With luck, he might help this version last a little bit longer, but it's a big legacy to live up to. And after teasing us with at least two trailers that simply ended with coming soon, Team Sherlock has finally taken pity on the fans by announcing that the new special, now called The Abominable Bride, will arrive on January 1st. First, To mark the occasion, the most recent trailer has been updated with the title and date. Set apart from the continuity of the main show, the episode will be a standalone story in the 19th century with our heroes, played as usual by Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, investigating a seemingly impossible case. Well, impossible for other people. The likes of Rupert Graves, Louise Brealey, Jonathan Harris, Amanda Abington, and Una Stubbs will be around, but given Victorian twists. The special is its own thing. This is uh, Stephen Moffat. He told EW back in March... It's not part of the run of three episodes. So we had this to do it, as we could hardly conceal. It's Victorian. Mark Gaddis and me, we wanted to do this, but it had to be a special. It had to be a separate entity on its own. It's kind of in its own little bubble. From Vulture.com, David Tennant and Catherine Tate are returning to the Doctor Who universe. Donna Noble might have had her memory wiped at the end of her tenure as the 10th Doctor's feisty companion, but that's not stopping Catherine Tate and David Tennant from reuniting once again in the Who universe for another rendezvous. As announced this week by Big Finish, David Tennant will be returning as the 10th Doctor and Tate as Noble in a series of three audio dramas for the company. The specials will be released simultaneously in May of 2016 and all feature different and unique plots. There's Doctor Who the 10th Doctor Adventures Technophobia, that's set in near future London when mankind starts to lose its ability to use technology. Doctor Who the 10th Doctor Adventures Time Reaver, that centers around a scoundrel ridden mechanical planet. And lastly, Doctor Who the 10th Doctor Adventures Death and the Queen, which finds the love struck noble in the unknown and mysterious land of Goritania. If history repeats itself, we're Expecting a lot of classic Dr. Donna banter and running. Lots of running. My favorite Dr. Donna scene absolutely has to be Season 4, Episode 1, Partners in Crime. When they're trying to spy on somebody and they wind up seeing each other. One's outside the building. One's looking through a door. And they start having this soundless conversation until they're discovered. (laughs) You got to check it out. Season 4, Episode 1, Partners in Crime. Now for some music news from blabbermouth.net. Drummer Charlie Benante is sitting out Anthrax's current European tour dates with Slayer. He's once again temporarily being replaced by John Det or Detty who has previously played with Slayer, Testament, and Iced Earth. Anthrax Tour with Slayer kicked off this past Sunday, October 25th, in Tilburg, the Netherlands. Benante previously missed the first few weeks of Anthrax Spring North American Tour with Volbeat so that he could undergo physical therapy in his continuing battle with Carpal Tunnel Syndrome. Deddy originally filled in for Benante during Anthrax's appearance at the Soundwave Festival in 2013 and at a number of European shows in 2014. We hope you get better soon, Charlie. We want to have you back out on the road with Anthrax. had the opportunity to meet Uh, Charlie and a couple of the other guys from Anthrax back in 1989 when they were in town in San Diego for a concert with Ozzy Osbourne. That was when the State of Euphoria CD came out. I happened to be driving along the road with my buddy in San Diego and I look over to my right and I see Scott Ian walking down the street with his wife. I'm like, dude, stop the car. So I jumped out, kind of ran behind Scott. I was like, man, they want to see him too... Crazy fanish, So I, I'm like, uh, Scott, you know, and he gets, I was still about 10 feet away and he turns around. Very cool. So I walk to him and say, hey, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I'm a big fan. I just wanted to come on by and, you know, meet you, say hello, et cetera. And he's like, hey, yeah, no, man, it's cool. Are you going to be going to the show tonight? Now, I, at that point, I didn't have tickets. So I go, absolutely. I'm going to go out there. He's like, great, we'll see you there. So he takes off. We go to the, um, to the sports arena, San Diego sports arena to go get tickets. And there's a bunch of people around the bus. So we get over there. Charlie Benante comes out there. I saw him sign a Stormtroopers of Death album for somebody. I asked him a question about that. Really cool guys. I had the opportunity to check them out. And uh, went to the show that night Which was really interesting on another note Because that was a time that a friend of mine Got to take a picture with Zach Wild Who had just joined Ozzy's band Fairly recently And he looked totally different If you remember Zach Wild when he first joined Ozzy's band Doesn't look anything like Zach Wild in Black Label Society So uh, that was kind of cool back then Nice to meet Charlie at that time And another interesting note when I said goodbye to Scott Ian, it turns out, and if you ever saw their backstage video, uh, Eddie of Nicky there's a point where he's in San Diego and he pulls out a comic book. The comic book was The Killing Joke with the Joker. That was a comic book that he bought right after I said hello to him. So that's my little claim to fame with Scott Ian and Charlie Benante as we move on to more news. Hey, speaking of shows and tours here, a couple that are coming into South Texas in the coming weeks. Coming up on November 6th, you got Loudness at the Corova in San Antonio. Uh, November 14th, Agnostic Front is going to be at Jack's Live Music Bar, also in San Antonio. And it looks like the Corova is having some really great shows. In addition to uh, some of the smaller shows they have, coming up on November 28th, Havoc is going to be there December 1st. Venom Incorporated Iron and Steel is going to be there, and I'm going to be there. So, uh, let me know if you're going to be going out there. You definitely want to check out Venom Incorporated. They're having like a resurgence right now with Mantis Abaddon and Tony Dolan, the Demolition Man. They're hitting Europe, they're hitting Brazil, they're hitting all over the world. And I tell you what, we have the opportunity to check them out right here in South Texas, December 1st at the Corova. I've got my tickets, get yours. They're on Facebook, they're on the web. You can check them out for yourself. December 1st, Venom Incorporated. And last but not least, coming up on December 11th, Deicide is also going to be at the Corova. Metal ahead. Please exit now to avoid getting caught in the awesome. Whoa, there you go. It's time to wrap up the entertainment portion of the Small Hours Podcast, episode number nine, as we move on to the featured track of the week. If you came for the entertainment news, this is your off ramp We'll catch you next week for episode number 10 historic episode number 10 right now we're going to move on and feature kind of a creepy track that i got from uh italy it's uh just in time for halloween it's Profanol with close the coffin Profanol consists of rosie on vocals christian and birchi on guitar danielle on bass and nico on drums and uh guys gal if i messed up your names forgive me perdon Old-school death metal out of Sassina, Italy. Profanol got their start when they recorded their demo in 2007. They followed up with the four-track demo Rotten Bodies in 2009. Did a couple of split releases in 2011, first with Funeral Horror in January. It's called Two Morbid Ways to Die. Then they did one with Obscure Infinity in September called United in Death. Their full-length release, Black Chaos, came out in November 2012. In September of this year, their split release with Into Darkness unleashed this week's featured track of the week. This is Close the Coffin on the Small Hours Podcast with Al Gavada Profanol, check it out. Here you go, man. Just in time for the Halloween weekend. Close the coffin. That is Profanol. You can catch them at www.facebook.com slash Plus, you can check out their stuff on Bandcamp. It's Profanol, P-R-O-F-A-N-A-L dot Bandcamp. Dot com And again, they're out of Italy. I want to thank them for giving me the opportunity to check out their song and feature him on the Small Hours Podcast. By the way, if you're a band, you want to be considered to be featured as a featured track of the week on an upcoming episode, contact us. Send us an email, smallhoursemail at gmail.com. That's small hours email at gmail.com We'd love to hear from you. Send us a track you want to feature on the show. We'd love to listen to it. And of course, send us a little bio about your band. We want to know about you. Plus, that way I don't have to hunt anything down, right? Hope you enjoyed the episode. we got a lot of stuff coming up for episode number 10. Got a, a more local band we're going to be featuring. Tell you about that next week. And you can always, by the way, always find us at thesmallhours.podbean.com That's thesmallhours.podbean.com and again our email for bands or if you just want to drop off some comments let us know what you think of the podcast small hours email at gmail.com episode number 9 is in the books getting ready for episode number 10 had a blast putting this one together we'll do it again next week you've been listening to the small hours podcast with Al Givada. I'm Al Givada. we'll catch you next time